Welcome to the Solari Food Series audio cast. This is your host, Pete Kennedy. Individual legislators and regulators fear the most is the mama lion, the mother of young children who do whatever she believes will best benefit their health. One such individual is today's guest, Niti Bali. In 2007, Niti's two-year-old daughter, Minakshi, was diagnosed with cancer and subsequently underwent five rounds of toxic chemotherapy, treatment that did not stop the disease. Seeing that the medical system had failed her daughter, Niti embarked on a holistic mission to source the cleanest, healthiest foods from local farms. That mission centered on finding sources of regenerative meat. Although Niti was able to cure her daughter's cancer with the food she obtained from the farms, the damage to her daughter from the chemo was too great. Mina passed away in September 2007. What happened to her daughter lit a fire, and Nidia's made it her life's work to educate farmers and consumers on the importance of producing and eating regenerative meats and other nutrient-dense foods. Niti is the founder and CEO of Farm to Fork Meat Riot, a 501c3 nonprofit organization serving as a catalyst for reestablishing the small family farm food system. She also operates under the Farm to Fork Meat Riot umbrella, a community-supported agriculture program in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. Nithi believes there are two categories of food, real food and poison. In this audio cast, you will touch on the poison produced in our conventional food system and the confined animal feeding operations, but we'll focus mainly on regenerative from livestock raised in accordance with the laws of nature and the healing qualities it brings to human health. So without further ado, Neeti, welcome to the Solari Food Series audio cast. Thank you so much for having me, Pete. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Okay, well, let's just get into it, starting with your illness. So you could speak about that and how that led you to discover regenerative meat. The uh, floor is yours. Thank you. Yeah, in 2007, um, Minakshi, our then two-year-old, beautiful, healthy, you know, articulate daughter was diagnosed with esthesio neuroblastoma. Upon presentation, her sphenoid bone had already been consumed by the solid mass tumor, so she was palliative at best. And our medical institutions operate under, you know, like if they would have operated under the Hippocratic Oath, then they, you know, like that they boast about that people believe, you know, is being practiced to first do no harm then, you know, at that moment, they would have sent us home just to love her and, you know, for as long as we could, because they actually didn't even expect her to live for 24 hours, I found out later. And, you know, normally children with that type of diagnosis, they really just don't even believe that they're going to live at all. Anyway, she was never going to survive the damage that was already done. And so the fact that they proceeded and wanted to, you know, even uh, consider and prescribe chemotherapy to me was breaking their oath. So, I mean, what I've learned since then is they don't operate on this oath. For anybody out there who thinks that they do, they do not. It's evidenced repeatedly over and over again in multiple stories that I hear. I've heard, I mean, I've been working now for 12 years with thousands and thousands of families, and I just hear the same chaos and same nonsense 
over and over and over again. Anyway, the fact that they didn't just tell us to go home for me was, you know, like these institutions that we've created, this is just evident, more evidence that the institutions that we created to serve us have now become our masters. And instead what they did was they chose to experiment on her. And they did that with five rounds of chemo, which only tortured her needlessly. And it tortured us as, you know, a side effect with her as her parents, because this human torture therapy only pushed me to research more powerfully for truth about cancer. And you know, I'm fully aware now that our medical industrial complex has no intention of healing anyone. This centralized system financially serves um, the corporatocracy and is guised as healthcare for the people. They haven't like literally cured anything yet. If you were seeking relief, if you're seeking actual healing, you should look no further than regenerative meat because regeneratively raised meat heals. Animal fat from animals honored under the law of nature, under universal laws, are hormonally, like they're like hormone balancers. Fats like coconut oil and olive oil, avocados, and the seed oils that I think people are aware that are dangerous, uh, they're all hormone disruptors and tumor growers. I also think it's interesting that people can become allergic to those plant fats if they consume them in great volume. And if you consume animal fats in volume, you are not going to just become allergic to them because you've been eating a lot of them. You can overeat plant fats and become allergic to them, like develop an allergy to them that you may not have had in the beginning, but you cannot do that with animal fats. And the reason is because of the inflammation that is created with the plant fats also that you know they might start off reducing inflammation because if you're coming off of chemicals like chemistry projects like cheetos and doritos and burger king and you know mcdonald's or whatever that's one thing but when you like so you'll find relief you know for a minute and then over time i've seen it repeatedly time and time again that plant fats create inflammation again at some moment and so your in uh, your daughter's case, what exactly was it that led you toward meat? How did you discover that's what worked uh, best? Well, in her case, I mean, we didn't have time to know all the things that I know now, 12 years, you know, now it's been, she's been dead for 12 years. So we're actually talking about 13, 14 years ago. So 14 years ago, I didn't even know what a GMO was. You know, I didn't. GMOs hadn't really been talked about or identified. I mean, only in 2009 was Jeffrey Smith's book published. So, I mean, prior to that, I don't know who knew about GMOs, but that was how I learned about GMOs. And that was after she was dead. Like, she was already gone before I figured it out. Like, I didn't know anything about GMOs, for example. So, at that time, all I was doing was you know, I was in charge between my husband and I, I was in charge of researching food and holistic approaches. And his work was to research every medical option. So when we say holistic medical, all the way to whatever radiation or any therapies that he could find that he thought was going to work, he was researching that side of it. And so I was looking for farms. And I started by going to farmer's markets. I mean, but I already had relationships at local farmer's markets. You know, in 2007, there was no meat at farmer's markets. 
you know, like today you see a lot of meat and eggs and things like that at markets, but back then see that at least not around me, not in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, we live in the capital. So the state capital farmer's market is the largest market in our state. And at that market, which I had access to easily, it was only 12, 15 minutes from my house. I used to go there and I would, I should have access to the most everything at the state market, right? Because it's supposed to support the agriculture for the whole state. Like everybody's supposed to be coming there from everywhere and have access, meaning the producers, right? So it was interesting to me that they did have an indoor area where they only had one pork producer, one beef producer, one, you know, one, one, one of these few producers that were allowed inside the building in the inside building because that's where they can have freezers and stuff you know and they were very limited on what they could have and when i went to go visit those farms they were wanting to do a good job raising livestock but they were you know part of this good old boys club it's very political like all these farmers markets are very very political so trying it is also still a centralized food system if you read my book i talk about grocery stores and farmers markets aren't really that different because you have to meet health code to participate in a farmers market or in any centralized food distribution system. So they all have to comply with health regulations, which effectively means that even if a farmer is doing a really good job raising something, they aren't allowed to sell it to you until they've washed it in bleach, like right. eggs, for example. You have to wash them and bleach and disinfect them and make them as dead as possible so that you can be feeling safe. They think their job is to protect you and provide safety, and that is not their work. Their work is not to provide us with safety. Their only work is supposed to be to provide us with freedom and liberty, and they have forgotten. This. Well, we're going to yeah get into that in a bit because we both agree there is a there should be a legal difference or distinction between the public and private distribution of food, and I think you're talking about the private distribution that should be between the seller and uh, the customer. So, yes, and farmers are not free to have this relationship and eaters don't know that. Eaters think when they go to the farmer's market that they're having a free direct exchange, but this is a ruse, this is a facade. It is not true. So yeah, you found that out firsthand. You couldn't get the foods you wanted at uh, the farmer's market. So just, you went direct to the farm and I think by this time, you had in mind the kind of food you want, and like you said, there are very few farmers who produced it. So uh, if you could describe the process of, of trying to convince the farmers to go to regenerative farming, how you were able to fare uh, doing that, and what you were able to do to persuade at least some of them to do that. Well, I would say that I wouldn't be able to convince anyone of anything, so I've never really tried. I mean, words don't teach life experience teaches. And working with farmers, my experience has been that if I want a farmer to grow food to like a specific standard, I need to show them a market for it. In the beginning, showing the farmers a market for this demand while growing the eaters was hard work. I'd get enough clean 
meat faster than the eaters, then I'd have more eaters versus the food. And this kind of teetering and tottering, like it costs a lot of small farmers, a lot of energy and faith and money. But, you know, like they could see what I was trying to do and they knew like what I was doing was not a lie. I wasn't lying to them. There was no trickery involved. And so, you know, for them to have the correct volume of sales, we needed to, you know, we really needed a different type of investment from the eaters. And so, you know, in the beginning, I didn't really understand this. I was, you know, it was starting and stalling all the time. And I was just realizing what was happening as we were moving along. And then, I mean, you know, as I was recognizing these problems, you know, then I was trying to come up with some kind of solution. Eaters could also see that there was a struggle going on. And, you know, there was a struggle because they were making a commitment, but then they couldn't, you know, like the farms weren't able to maintain the commitment or there were stop gaps, there were delays in the commitment because, you know, it takes time to raise food, to raise animals. You can't, you know, like even plants, obviously, you plant the seed, it takes time for the gestation period right. <laughs> and, and to grow them out. So, you know, our membership was growing. What ended up happening is that we, you know, my farms would start producing over the demand a little bit, but, you know, they were having to carry that gap so that we had room for more eaters to come in and grow with us. And anyway, it was a very big struggle to get those things going in the very beginning. And I call them my army of Minas affectionately because they all hung in there. And now, like after 12 years, I've been able to look back and see where I could have done things a little bit differently, or I could have been more efficient with some things. I could have avoided some of the struggle. I just didn't know what the problems were. And the farmers were not really, I don't think they were even able to articulate and verbalize what some of the problems were. I mean, we were like kind of dealing with things as we went along. And then if you look back, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So we were able to, you know, create more efficiency as a side effect of that. The big deal was that farms weren't going to just be producing this stuff to this level because eaters were not willing to pay for it because they didn't know what the costs were. I mean, eaters have no idea what real food costs or the fragility yeah. of our food system. You did at that time. And like you said, the doctors thought your daughter wouldn't live 24 hours, but if she was able to actually live, I think, over two years. So if you could explain how you were able to extend her life through uh, diet and just what you saw particularly uh, worked with her. Well, in our case, what was happening was I would go to the farmer's market. Like, okay, let's go back to that for a second. I would go to the farmer's market. I found out there's no real food there, but I started, what was happening was I was going to the farms the people at the farmer's market and then I would start to get to meet their neighbors and friends people who weren't at the markets people who I found out couldn't get into the markets and there was more regenerative farming going on all around these guys than there was with the people who were actually at market that was the first thing I, I discovered then I started talking and trying to build relationships with these people. Well, building relationships takes a lot of time. There's a lot of effort. They don't trust you. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it took a while, but if somebody was allowing me to walk their land and if what was happening on their land made sense to me, you know, and it looked like the animals were healthy and happy. And, you know, to me that looked like, you know, nice clean coats. There wasn't an imbalance. There weren't a whole bunch of flies all over them and bugs and, and things like that. That doesn't mean we don't see bugs and flies and things like that on farms. I just mean they're not like taking over and, you know, making the animals uncomfortable. There wasn't any stagnation on the land. So if I was finding anything like that, then I would just support them, which required me to drive from farm to farm. That was not convenient, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't worth it for them to come out off of their land to just bring me personally food for my family, you know? But so I continued to do this. And what I did with Mina was she had already been through five rounds of chemo. She had already been tortured, you know, in the hospital. I write about those details in my book for anybody who's interested in the background on that. But when we finally get home and I'm feeding her, then I pretty much was letting her choose, you know, what she wanted to eat. I wasn't going to fight with her. She, you know, we only had a limited amount of time together. I knew this, right? At this point, I know this. And so I'm just trying to enjoy her as much as I can and make things as easy and comfortable for her as possible. Well, guess what? She only ever wanted to eat the meat. She was two. And if you put in front of her meat and blueberries and some vegetables, you know, or whatever we would get from the farm, she would only ever want to eat the meat. Well, I wasn't going to fight with her for her to eat fruit or vegetables. I was not going to do that. And if she would ask me for more meat, I would just feed it to her unlimited. So she ate and chose to eat mostly meat. And at some point, I just started giving her more meat. That doesn't mean that we didn't offer her fruit and vegetables. You know, if we're cutting fruit or vegetables and she's around, I'm obviously putting it on a platter. She has access to whatever she wants. But she would basically focus in on and want only the meat. And we all kind of knew that. And it wasn't any kind of big deal for us. And we would make sure she had it. And then, we go back for screening, like, you know, to go get tested right. at Duke and they do run the test and her tumor is necrotic. Now it's necrotic. It's dead. What? And so I write about that in the book too. Like everybody can read all the details and see like exactly how that unfolded. But the meat was the cure. The meat was the cure. And had I known that in the beginning, you know, we could have been doing that from day one, first of all, but secondly, you know, that wasn't going to change the fact that she had no spinal right. bone. And now because she's had five rounds of chemo, the other cancers that are side effects of chemotherapy, like getting chemo, the side effect of having chemo and radiation is more cancer. That is the side effect. So you know that because it's written. Anybody who has gone to the hospital, anyone who has participated in chemotherapy is given a full disclosure of this is going to cause more cancer and then people sign it and then they do it anyway. Right. Yeah. Most cancer victims don't die of the cancer. They die from toxemia, I think, or at least a, yeah, a good many. Okay. So, you know, when you're dealing with your daughter's illness during that time and even after the time you passed, you've got just another challenge. You have these farmers who 
you're trying to convince the produce the food the way you think is healthiest, but they need customers to uh, convince them. So uh, another part of the work you did was trying to uh, convince consumers to shift their purchases over to uh, regenerative foods, especially regenerative meat. So how did you go about that? When I saw that my farmers were struggling, because so what happened first is that a lot of the folks that were feeding us were saying that they were thinking about going out of business because people just don't really care about the food. And, you know, the majority of the population I find is actually seeking relief. And this was evidence to me because I decided that I was going to try to help our farmers. And I created a website and thought, oh, it was like a landing page, you know, like, oh, if people come here, then I can talk to them and tell them how powerful regenerative meat is, which I did not call it that then. I didn't even know these words at that time, just for your information. Like, I just was like, you know, you need to support local farms and we need our animals outside on grass. And <laughs> I didn't know the terminology of regenerative yeah, For the listeners, if you could actually define regenerative meat, because we had a, a program, the last program, the, you know, the guests used the term grass-fed uh, meat. It's basically the same thing, but yeah, if you could provide your, your definition of regenerative for the listeners. Sure. So, you know, what's amazing is that our bodies are constantly regenerating. This is a regenerative universe, actually. We're, everything is meant to regenerate and reproduce and, and revive constantly. And that's how our cells are too. But when you talk about regenerative livestock or raising them in a regenerative fashion, it is honoring the, like Joel Solitan says, you know, the pigness of the pig and the chickenness of the chicken and the cowness of the cow, which means that you allow them to be on the land doing their work you know, like the chickens are the cleanup crew on the farm. The, you know, hogs are, you know, the plows and, you know, they're the ones that are clearing the woods and, you know, things like that. They're creating these beautiful forests. And then you have cows and they're regenerating soil. And I mean, all of them are regenerating the soil, actually. All of their movement, their massaging of the earth is, is regenerating the soil. And they're working in this symbiotic relationship between the sun and the rain and the air and the soil, you know, these livestock animals. And so what that's called is what they're producing is called living soils. You can't have living soils without animals and without living soil, you can't have plants that have any nutrition in them. So for folks who think that you can, feed the world on just plants, you have no idea what you're talking about in the sense of you can't produce plants to feed the world without livestock massaging. Right. The so there's no soil without livestock. So what's been happening is as we've created and established these monocultures that are raping the soil with tilling machines and the crops themselves and the petrochemical fertilizers, which is poison for the soil. And it doesn't produce a living soil. It produces a supplemented soil, which is a dead soil. It is, you know, it's not a living soil. If you take something that you've mined, which that's what they're doing, you know, guys, when they're using these fertilizers, those are minerals that are being mined 
and then they're using petrochemical varieties, versions of these minerals, and then they're pouring them back out. So it's not that they're using just petrochemical machines like gas-powered tractors to put it out there. That is the petrochemical aspect of this. They are literally using chemistry project fertilizers that they've mined these minerals and then they've converted them because they want the consistent same, because, you know, by the way, nature consistent nature isn't always repeating itself it's not repeatable nature is not there's no two snowflakes that are the same for example if you don't understand all these other things then you know to condition the minerals to make them equal they're using petrochemicals to condition them and make them all the same so you have that uh, roundup i mean not roundup but what do they call it yeah well what is the oh miracle grow okay. I'm using miracle Grow as an example because miracle Grow is a patented formula, which means it's not natural, which means some man made it and they patented it because you can't patent nature. Okay. So if it has a patent number, that means it's fake chemistry project poison. That's what I'm always referring to like Doritos. They're patented. That's poison. It's not real. It is some chemistry project that somebody wants you to put in your body and then your cells don't know what it is. And so you're being poisoned. So in the same way, they make this thing called miracle grow. Let's just call it on a commercial scale. And then they're pouring it out on these monocultures as fertilizer. And our regenerative farmers are not fertilizing the land with anything that's been mined from somewhere that they're carrying back out. What it is is a closed system where the animals massage the earth. They are pooping and peeing on the land and massaging the land with their energy and their hooves and, you know, or their claws and, you know, like the birds are scratching through it. And this action, that energy that they're putting out there is what is actually fertilizing and that is operating under universal law or the law of nature right okay let's let's get back to your recruitment of uh, your customers what was your most effective pitch to get them to uh, yeah participate in this kind of um yeah agriculture I didn't really have a pitch, you know, Pete. Um, what was happening is everybody's sick, okay? People, I haven't really met a very healthy person yet. Most people in the, in the population generally are suffering with something. And, you know, they just are seeking relief. I mean, even if they're only just suffering with anxiety, they're seeking relief, you know? And so relief from what? Relief from pain, relief from suffering. I mean, they just don't even realize this is this anxiety this depression, this, you know, like everybody's got a shirt these days, you know, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Like they think that's something that's actually happening to them or whatever. These are all side effects or result of malnourishment. And that's what they're suffering from. I mean, you got these kids, look, people have mental imbalances, right? They have weight imbalances. So you either have this too skinny person who can't gain weight. You got too fat person. Most of them are all fat right? Mm. Um, you have these electrical imbalances. 
where you have folks who are like suffering with like MS and strokes and seizures, you have circulatory imbalances where people are, you know, having issues with blood pressure or heart disease. And, you know, heart disease is like a number one killer, supposedly. No, uh, the number one killer is the doctor, okay, medical malpractice or medical murder, which they're allowed to do with no side effect, no like prosecution coming after them. Then there's metabolic imbalances, which are your cancers, your autoimmune conditions, you know, the Crohn's disease, the IBS issues, which I guess Crohn's and IBS also falls into the next, which is digestive imbalances. So you have IBS, Crohn's, constipation, diarrhea, but all of those things are also a form of autoimmunity, which is also a metabolic syndrome. Then you have like the bone problems, bone brain problems, where you have the arthritis and you have the migraines that are happening. What about the rickets? these kids, all these sports injuries that are happening with children constantly. I mean, it's amazing to me now that mothers think it's normal for when your baby tries to walk that the child might break its leg because I have seen more babies who are of the, you know, the toddling age that are just trying to walk in casts. And I'm asking the mothers like, what is happening? And they're like, oh, they were just trying to walk, you know? Um, no, that is not normal. That's called rickets. That is rickets. That is malnourishment. So that's a skeletal imbalance, right? That's what we're looking at. And all of this is due to poor nutrition. It is malnourishment. Why? Because parents are being told, you know, your child, you know, on the food pyramid should eat Cheerios for breakfast, and then they should have a sandwich for lunch, and then for dinner they should have pizza. This is called wheat on wheat on wheat, grain on grain on grain. And not just any grain. But these are chemistry project grains. Right. Glyphosate-laden grain. And poison. So you're poisoning your children. They're malnourished. And it's chelating out all the minerals that would be in the bones, which is what's weakening the skeletal system. All the, you know, nutrition that would be helping to regenerate and build new cells. And so you're in a state of metabolic imbalance, which is these cancers, right? And you have circulatory imbalances because you have the stiffening of the arteries, which is happening because there's no new cells coming in and there's no pliability. You know, we're losing our pliability because there's no nourishment, which only comes from fat. It only comes from animal fat, guys. So most of your, um, yeah, it sounds like So they were coming to me because they were sick. Sorry, they were coming yeah. to me. Right. Because we're sick. And when you're sick, you just need relief. I didn't have to convince anybody of anything. They were sick. They would find me because they're sick. They would find me because they don't know how to feed their children. They're like, why is my kid constantly sick? I don't know what I can, when a mother doesn't know how to feed their child because everything that they're buying out of the store isn't working, you know, this is what's happening. So people were coming to me for a reason. And then, you know, like when I start teaching eaters that our medical system is the most regulated system and that medical professionals are restricted to operate under the 1910 Flexner Report standard of care and not based on actual solutionary medicine using correct nutrition or proper exercise that really supports cellular regeneration and proper like you know endocrine system support then they pretty much know that I'm speaking truth because They've experienced the damage and the pain and the destruction of these systems 
you know, on one or several levels of their own life experience. So I'm not convincing them of anything. I'm pointing out fact, factual events that they've experienced and they're seeking relief. And then I'm able to provide that relief and they're able to experience ease after they've done what I've said. They're sold. They're not going to go back to what they were doing before. After right. that. Okay. So yeah, you've got these people who are interested in finding this type of food. You're trying to find an effective way to uh, distribute it, to get it distributed to the people who need it for their health. So if you could talk about community supported agriculture, why you set that up and yeah, basically how it works. Yeah. So my CSA is actually a counter economic strategy that helps us operate outside of the centralized corporatocracy. It's a private food system that I legally set up as a 501c3 food church so that we can speak freely and operate in truth and freedom for food freedom and for health independence. All these people start coming to me, Pete, and they're all like coming to me with disease. Nobody was coming to me because they were just like, ooh, let's support farms. Nobody was coming to me for just that, okay? And so when they're coming to me, I'm having these really hard conversations, these big conversations with people, which I found out is making claims. I mean, I'm like breaking laws left, right, and center because I'm speaking truth. If you speak truth to anybody, I'm like breaking at least. I mean, everything I'm saying here, I'm not really allowed to talk about. I'm not allowed to tell you that your child is malnourished because of whatever reason, because why? Because I'm nobody. I'm just a mother. I'm not certified or licensed or, you know, I'm speaking truth to you based on the fact that the body is, has energy and that it's capable of regeneration. Well, we're not allowed to do that based on the Flexner report that was filed in 1910. So I'm kind of getting off topic. I know a little bit, but I'm saying that because I was being shut down every time I said something. And so I had to establish a way to be able to communicate without taking on so much liability since we've established this litigious society, right? We're going to get into that. Yeah, just some of the harassment you suffered from the alphabet soup agencies. Yeah, if you could explain just basically how a community-supported agriculture program works and how it, right. yeah. Well, well, what we're doing is I created this group of people and I, I have a bunch of rules. And the reason I have these rules is because you know, because of all these other things that I'm telling you that I'm not allowed to talk about these things. And so I needed people to take full responsibility for themselves and know, and, you know, so I had to kind of create my own psychological operation and say, Hey, I need you guys to know that for us to be able to gain health and get this food, we all need to take individual responsibility. And so therefore I need you to give me a dollar as a fee because that's my legal and binding contract mm -hmm. right and so because for legal ease i created a fee system and it isn't a dollar it's more than a dollar it's a lot of money because i needed to be paid for all this work that i'm doing that i wasn't really trying to do that i just kind of fell into doing on accident because i needed the food selfishly and i would tell everybody i was like look my daughter is dying i need food for my family do you want some too do you and do you want to know what I know? 
And if you do, then here's how much money I need from you. And I was able to do it fairly affordably for people because I was doing it out of my home, right? So I created these fees. And that was actually when I spoke to this great human being, you know, Mr. Pete Kennedy, who gave me legal protection. Cause I was like, listen, a disclaimer or I don't know something. And so he wrote my legal for me. So thank you, Pete for doing that for me. But he wrote my legal disclaimer because I told Pete, I go, I'm just trying to freaking get people the meat. Like they just need the good meat and it's not illegal to possess the meat and it's not illegal to raise the meat and it's not illegal to own the meat and it's not illegal to eat the meat. It's just illegal for us to sell it to you and to tell you why you can use it for medicine. That's the illegal part. And so I'm taking all the legal onus. So with the CSA, Neethi, you, they were supposed to purchase a certain amount of meat each month or a certain amount of food each month, the way you had it set up out. I actually set it up so it was easier than that. What I wanted is for everybody to participate on whatever level they wanted. It costs money to join the membership. So they had to pay me a CSA fee. And they pay a monthly, they pay an annual membership fee and a monthly CSA fee. And then what that does is gives them access to the food. Okay. And then they can buy the food a la carte, which is one at a time, which is most expensive. They can buy the food in a monthly subscription, which is a bundle that is in increments. Like for chicken, it's always in two chicken, like as one bundle, you have to buy two chickens to buy a bundle, for example, to get a discount or whatever. And you make a commitment to the farm that you're going to get two birds a month for the whole year. If you want a chicken subscription, for example, and it's, as far as beef and pork went, it was in five pound increments. So you could either do five or 10 pounds every week, or you could do 15 and 20 pounds every month or every week. But you couldn't do less than 15 pounds a month or five pounds a week, if that makes sense. And that was because we needed a specific amount of volume for it to make sense for a farm to produce it. Otherwise, they can't afford to just produce you one pound, one pound, one pound. And you're not gaining any health anyway off of that. You have to eat a lot more meat than that. Oh. So that kind of worked in both directions. But the other part of it was that we were no longer, I was encouraging people, and I still am encouraging people, no longer to participate in the grocery store because this disruption, this non-participation is how I wanted to stop funding the global powers you know, that were profiteering off of our suffering and they were dividing us and they were brainwashing us and greenwashing us into compliance and not allowing us to talk to each other about truths. Like we right. Are. So here you are, this small CSA and you're getting visits from the United States Department of Agriculture, FDA, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Go. So if you could tell the listeners what this harassment was about and just you mentioned it earlier but how yeah why yeah. it led your formation of the food church but if you could describe the harassment first because someone as small as you to get this much of, you were at the time to get this much of attention is amazing to me so go ahead 
I mean, I'm really small, guys. Everybody still thinks that I'm like so gigantic or big. And I think that it's amazing that any of these organizations even know who I am. That's how much of a threat me is to the agenda that, you know, people don't want to believe. But I mean, I have... I've since when I was at home original. Okay. So I started the CSA in my garage and we got up to like a hundred and some families. And then we moved into commercial space. And when I moved into commercial space, Pete, then you heard more from me because all of a sudden they're like, Oh my God, she just moved into commercial space. And I mean, before that they were trying to be friendly, but you know, they wanted me to like participate and like, you know, they were really trying to build a rapport with me and, you know, have a friendship with me. And I think they were playing nice with me in the beginning. When I moved into commercial space, all of a sudden the same man who used to come to my house and be nice to me has become like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde or something. And he's crazy. And he's like, look, you're not allowed to do this, you know? And I said, not allowed to do what, you know? And they can never tell me what it is that I'm not allowed to do. What department was he with me? He was this federal or so that was ncda so when i moved into my space then he came to visit me he's like what are you doing here oh you're growing oh you know congratulations i need to come inspect your fridges and freezers and and i was like okay i mean i wasn't up for inspection because i had already been inspected recently and so it was odd and then i thought okay well whatever maybe he's just setting me up in the new place and you know i was never trying to do anything against the rules because you know i'm not trying to do anything wrong i'm just trying to do a good job so sure i let him in and he looks at everything and then all of a sudden he's like yeah you can't use these kind of you know you can't do this here you can't have broken seals you can't have on this level you can't have chicken that's you know produced from a local farm. I go, well, if they're within their numbers, then it should not be a problem. So now I have answers for everything he has to say, but he's like, well, I need you to get rid of broken seals. You can't have like a separate freezer anymore because at home I used to be able to have a personal freezer that was not going to be for sale. And then I had a for sale. I had the for sale stuff. Right. And he says, well, you can't. Sell. So yeah, if you could tell the listeners, Initially, you had a permit, correct? You had a thing for meat handlers. Yeah, I used to have a meat handler. Well, I still have this meat handler's license because I was not ever trying to do something illegal. I was always trying to just do what I'm supposed to do. So, you know, I mean, I was checking all the boxes and doing all the right, correct things. And what I learned from doing that is now I've asked permission and now I can't get rid of my permission. I've even tried to give them my meat handler's license back because when you ask our government that works for us permission to do something, now you're a slave. Now you have to comply with what they want, the way they want. You're not free to run your business in the way that you want, even if it's for the good of everybody. And they say they use safety as the excuse for all of this garbage. Okay. So he's like, When he came to me originally, the reason you get a meat handler's license is because you want to be trained so that you know how to operate within safety parameters to keep the meat safe, 
right? And so I'm doing that. But now they don't want me to do this in a bigger way. So they're trying to find a reason to try to make me stop. Well, you're making health claims on your website now, he says, next, because he doesn't know what else to say. What health claims am I making? You know, you said that your daughter's cancer was cured with the meat. I go, well, it was. Right. And then they said, well, you said that, you know, the animals outside on grass are, are healthier than the ones in a house. Yes, that's a fact. If you put animals in a house and you look at their state versus being outside, you know, when they're inside, they look like that deer that's leaning up against a tree that you know isn't well. I mean, come on, folks. When you're out walking in the woods and you see a deer frolicking versus a deer leaning up against a tree, logic, common sense tells you what? This frolicking creature looks healthy, robust. That creature looks like I can eat it and I'm not going to die. If I eat this deer that's leaning up against a tree, that creature is sicker than me because it's leaning up against a tree. I shouldn't eat that. It's going to make me sick. When people say to me, how do you know CAFO meat isn't better or worse than regenerative meat? Are you joking? Have you been to a confined animal feeding operation? If you take life and you trap it in a house, what happens if you keep your dog in the house and you never let the dog go outside? And I'm not talking about these little toy dogs, the little fake miniature ones. I'm talking about like a real big dog. And even the little toy baby ones, whatever, you got to let them out to poop and pee or something, okay? But if you trap them in the house, you know, they're going to be depressed. What about you? What if you get locked in your house? I mean, isn't that called jail? There's this thing. It's called jail. When you put someone inside of it and they never can come out of it, their mind is going to go nuts. That's the reason why in prisons they have outdoor time because they can't even handle keeping all those people caged and managing them. Even in prison, they know that they have to allow them to go outside for a minute. Well, these livestock that are on CAFOs and these confined animal feeding operations, they don't go outside. Right. They don't go outside. So you're getting harassed by the North Carolina Department of Agriculture, FDA too. I mean, there's actually... FDA claims, and they've accused food manufacturers of this before, people selling food, of failure to file a new drug application. If, if you make a claim on a food, that according to FDA, that's the violation you're committing. So wow. you were able to find refuse and still educate your members on the health-bearing properties of these foods by uh, setting up a nonprofit 501c3 food church. And so yeah. you, you called it farm to fork meat riot. Why did you include the term? Why is the word riot included in that term? Well, I think that if anybody out there listening to me is listening to what I'm talking about here just in these past few minutes, and you're not upset, if you're not angry or feeling violated by the food system controller people, then you should be. And I think that you should look into this until you are upset about it because you've been, you know, poisoned without your knowing it. At least I was. And so I decided that, you know, enough is enough. Enough is enough. 
And so I wanted to create a riot and I didn't, I wasn't trying to be nice about it. I wasn't trying to be all soft and fluffy. I wanted people to know that you should be upset. The reason you should be eating regenerative meat and not CAFO meat is because you've realized the violation, not because I feel bad for these animals only, but animals that are sicker than we are, are going to poison us. Let that sink in for just a minute. Animals that are sicker than you are cannot nourish you. And neither can plants that are blanker than you are. If you're eating a plant that was grown in not living soil, yeah, I'm coming after you hydroponic people and everybody also. Because if you're growing plants in a very limited medium, those plants are empty. They're blank. And they're not nourishing you. So. Right. The, um, so you've set up this food church. You feel more free to tell your truth about the health-giving properties of meat. One of the basics on this is if you could tell the listeners how it is that the human digestive system is efficient, how it digests uh, meat so efficiently. So just like we understand the digestive system of a chicken or a hog or beef or, you know, they're comparing us all the time, Pete, to apes and, you know, monkeys or whatever and saying, oh, we should eat a bunch of fruits and vegetables just like they do because that's, you know, we come from the primates or whatever. No, we don't have the same digestive system as everybody. If you look at our digestive system, our colon isn't as big and long. Our intestinal system isn't as big and long as a gorilla, for example. And so our digestive system is only capable of converting every single thing that we put into our mouth into sugar. It cannot convert anything that we put into our mouth into fat. That matters. Why? Because our cells is fueled by fat or it needs to be fueled by fat because the way the building blocks for our cells requires fat first, then protein. And then if we need glucose, then we can take the fat and the protein and our body can actually convert that to sugar. We can convert everything to sugar. We just can't convert anything to fat. So if you're eating anything besides fat, it's all gonna turn to sugar, including protein. Yes, meat, muscle, protein will convert to glucose because it's a process that's called gluconeogenesis in which that occurs because we cannot convert anything into fat. And so for that reason, if you're eating a high fat, you know, moderate protein, low carb, meaning low sugar, meaning low plants, meaning almost no plants, okay, diet, you are going to thrive and live a robust life. But, you know, we are the highest, you know, I mean, we're at the top of the food chain, all right? And for that reason, we can even consume gasoline as evidenced by the fact that we can, you know, drink moonshine or Coca-Cola or any sodas, you know, Pepsi and whatever Mountain Dew, everybody can go ahead and fall into this. If you drink a chemical concoction in an aluminum can or bottle, 
you know, people are obviously living off of that. Okay. They live on that and they live on Doritos and I keep bringing up Doritos. I don't know why, but like zebra cakes, everything is included, whatever you can think of and your whole wheat bread. I'll just put that in there with the Doritos, you know, and pizza. So I think that what people don't realize is that all of those things, when you're having bread on bread with bread and more bread, I mean, who needs to eat freaking pizza with a breadstick? I'm just confused. It's so much grain and you're just a sugar burner. So as long as you're a sugar burner, you are going to experience brain fog. You're going to be hungry all the time. You're going to need three, six, eight meals, snacks, everything all day long. Nobody had time for all of this back in the day. I mean, if you really look back just as soon as, as recently as the Walton's family or the Brady Bunch on television, I'm using as examples, right? So people have watched the Brady Bunch or, you know, even Dick Van Dyke. I mean, they were cooking liver right. and onions every week. It was just a thing, you know, um, the Brady Bunch, you got a family with six kids and they never had pizza ever. Sam the butcher was the main character of, and the only person they talked about getting food from ever. It was the main staple of the time. So, you know, that was why if you look at pictures of people from, you know, the 70s and before, everybody was more robust, slim, you know, healthier. Go back to the 20s, it's even more powerful. Go back even further, you know? And the only people that were not doing well were the oligarchs. I mean, if you go back to medieval times, the kings were the ones with the gout. It was a disease of the sugar and the wine. It wasn't a disease of the meat. The peasants didn't have gout. And they were on, you know, the scraps of the beast because they were eating all the oxtail and the liver and the bone broth and the stews. And they were really just on stews. They were on stews, on stews, on stews. They were on meat, on meat, on meat. They couldn't afford bread. Right. They couldn't afford the grain. They couldn't afford the gardens and the vegetables and the fruit. That's why you see the queens with the big old thing of grapes. You didn't see the peasants eating grapes. Right. They weren't eating grapes because they weren't eating grape leaves. They couldn't even get that stuff. Only the orchards and all of those things were for the, you know, the kings in the medieval times. So you might not believe what was going on in caveman times. You might, you know, so, you know, people go back to the Bible and they go, oh, a caveman didn't exist. Okay, whatever. Like, I don't care. Just everybody can remember medieval times. There's evidence of the castles, you know. So if you can just go to medieval times, then everybody who was able to thrive were the peasants, the regular people, and they were all on meat. They were high on meat. Which brings up something today is it, there's meat and then there, there's meat. There's the, uh, unfortunately, I think it's either like 97 or 98% of the meat out there today, and meat is a, a trillion dollar business, is just conventionally, produce much of it uh, from uh, CAFOs. So you touched on this earlier, but if you could talk about how it is that the CAFO meat, yeah, elaborate on that a little more, how that leads to disease, and that's not what we should be eating. Look, friends, industrialized life, that's what it is. 
if you take life and you, you try to industrialize and mechanize it, then you are going to have dis-ease. It's logic. This is basic common sense and logic. But the fact that you don't know that those those beasts are not being honored and that they are mechanically and you know industrially being raised is the only thing you really need to know and i think that folks out there it's not a quantum leap for you to understand me when i say that if a deer is leaning up against a tree it's sicker than you are and you don't need to eat it well that's everything in a confined animal feeding right. operation on top of which, it's being fed poison. It's being fed glyphosate grains, like grains that are like doused with poison. So how about, you know, your wheat's doused with it too. They dry the wheat using glyphosate. They use it in the drying process, but it's not in your ingredient list because processes don't need to be listed as ingredients when they you don't see chlorine on the list of ingredients for your eggs okay your eggs have been washed in a chlorine wash your lettuce has been washed all your produce in a store has been washed with chlorine period all of it if you don't believe it you just have no idea like they're putting it through a chlorine wash you know under the guise of safety right everything's under the guise of safety but how much chlorine is good enough for you so let's go to the right way to do it just regenerative meat to explain a little more how that builds health and just is can put you point you towards optimum health our physical apparatus is built on cells that are made from fat and it's powered by the sun when you eat regenerative meat animals that First of all, regenerative beef, let's just talk about that versus CAFO beef, okay? CAFO beef is a very efficient meat that you buy for somewhere, what, between three and six dollars a pound or something like that. And that is because it is like a year old and it is fattened up on grain at the end versus regenerative meat. This isn't a competition between grain and grass that is not my main point here so do not be confused when you have the grain-fed beef in the store it's only a year old it was only on grass for less than a year okay and regenerative meat is on grass for three right. or at least two and a half to three years okay so there's a big difference between being two and a half to three years old finished on grass even if it's finished with grain, it's better that it's outside than it is to, it's better for you to get local. There's a lot of regenerative beef, you know, Pete, that is finished on grain and it's still regenerating the soil and the animal has still been honored and it's still being fed grain. And maybe that grain isn't grain. I don't know. I mean, that's also a thing. All right. This is also something because people just prefer to have. So I don't want anyone to get lost in the conversation between grain finished and grass finished as much as I want you to pay attention to the fact that there's an animal that is on grass for more than 12 or 18 months versus, you know, the ones that we're talking about that stay outside a lot right. longer. And, you know, if you didn't know, 
animals like you know any of these herbivores that actually live past five years are more beautifully marbled on grass and more delicious than anything and you know back in americans used to eat the oldest buffalo that was back when when they used to hunt buffalo they were hunting through herds that were miles wide and miles long and these animals were creating a robust landscape everywhere they went i mean yes they would come through and trample everything but that disturbance was what promoted the soil okay and it came back because they would keep moving they would go away they would only trample over it for that day for the whole freaking year and then they would come back around another year or another season later right or two seasons three mm -hmm. seasons later and so when they would come back then by that time this land had the opportunity to rest and recover that is another aspect of regenerating soil and so but when they were hunting those beasts they were hunting the oldest of those beasts and most of them were over five and eight and ten years old and that buffalo that they would kill would be super fatty super fatty and most amazing and that fat was the medicine that you know allowed them to be robust and how did these native americans operate without these big gardens how did they do it how were they thriving what about the eskimos what about the most robust traditional people of the planet you know never never had gardens yeah they used some herbs they even smoked some herbs even the smoking of the herbs wasn't even detrimental right. what in fact it was medicinal it was even medicinal it was when you start mixing now i'm not promoting smoking anything but i'm saying that they were gaining help from those plants that they were smoking because they didn't also have chemicals you know intertwined and mixed up in that concoction okay well you're one of the more militant people i know when it comes to quality food just uh yeah trying to secure a quality food supply and you've developed uh i guess what i call the farm to fork meat riot standards for meat i mean it's a pretty extensive but if you could kind of summarize what those are about and how there's this continuum between the top down to something that you know raised in a way that you no longer regard as food you consider poison so if you could kind of summarize your the standards you've developed yeah so i just want everybody to first of all if you're a food producer out there in my book i have this thing called farm to fork meat standard i want you to take the it's like a grade school style report card and it starts with a grade a and it goes to grade f and then below that is everything below the f is poison and i say if it's an essentialized food system meaning like if it's in a store it's considered poison why because it has to meet health code if it has to meet health code it's dead and it's poison don't eat it just say no but if you can purchase something direct from the farmer that's dirty and alive then it's food so even if you land on my report card that i write on in this book and it's a grade f it's food it's not poison and it offers life-giving force and basically f is for folks that are you know still vaccinating animals still using gmo feed 
still using medicine for the animals in the event that they have a weakness, they might, you know, use some kind of antibiotic or something like that. These chemicals, I mean, listen, there's a withdrawal period for them. And according to the people in charge, uh, <laughs> you know, that's okay because, you know, they think that they know when the damage is over. And I'm saying, I don't agree with that. And as evidenced by the fact that there are people who have chemical sensitivities to meat that is poorly raised. Okay. And so if you have one of these conditions like electrical deficiencies, like MS, or, you know, you have a metabolic disease like cancer, or you have, you know, like a serious autoimmune diagnosis, then you are not going to be able to do really well on a grade F. It will still affect you. Even the grade D, which is a step up, which means that, you know, thing up to grade C, People are still vaccinating, for example, but maybe the pastures are a little bit more improved. Perhaps they have more minerals that they have access to. Take this report card with a grain of salt producers, because I know that there are going to be, you know, variations based on your location and, you know, all these things that I can't possibly address. I mean, this was really difficult for me to write everybody. It was like writing a standard for how to raise your children, which is ridiculous. Okay. It's utterly ridiculous to write standards for that, but it gives you some kind of baseline and it's very extreme because I feel like most Americans aren't going to go for the grade A. You know, they're happy with an F. But what is grade A, Niti, in your view? What's the top? Grade A means that this beast had parents going back two and three generations that have never been vaccinated, that are, you know, never. And when I was at the time of writing the book, I called it heritage breeds, you know, or I referred to these pure breeds because just for lack of a better way to say that, that doesn't mean that I have anything against, you know, mixed breeds. I understand that there are many mixed breeds that have been designed to be able to tolerate better and, you know, variety of climates or flavor or something, I wouldn't mark them down as a side effect of that. But, you know, if you have breeder, if you have the breeding stock that's never been vaccinated and you go to third to fifth to ninth generation with that breed, it's way more powerful. You can see the health in the beast. You can see they're more fertile. You can see that they have an easier time tolerating flies or whatever, like all these things that they've come up with, like you need to buy this spray to spray all over your beast to keep all the flies mm -hmm. off of them. No, you don't. Nature has a solution for everything. And just like, you know, human beings, they've got us fearing the sun. Hello, you are solar powered. Do not use sunscreen. Stop it. Also, if you eat a lot of meat, you're able to more easily tolerate the sun and not burn. What? Did you know that if you were to start using lard or tallow as sunscreen, yes, slather it all over your body. It's amazing how much protection it would offer well, you. And I know I'm Indian and I can tolerate the sun a lot more, but Pete, you can test it. Well, for me. that leads 
Earlier, you talked about the fact that most of your customers had some kind of uh, health problems. And you've been doing this for 12 years now, have a, a lot of healing stories. You know, the medical profession says it's only anecdotal, but anecdotes are powerful. So, Is it anecdotal or is it testimonial? What's right. the difference? I mean, these maniacs are so crazy. When you're still running a legal system based on testimony, you're an attorney, Pete. When testimony is the most powerful tool that you have in law to defend your yeah, argument. Right. Well, if you could talk about some of the instances of uh, healing you've seen with your CSA members. Well, I've seen so much of it. And, you know, folks say the last third of my book is just testimonials that very brave people were strong enough to share. You know, guys, a lot of people had a lot of experiences that they're not interested in broadcasting or publishing in a book because they, you know, I mean, that's why we have the HIPAA laws is because a lot of people just don't want their medical information out there, you know, and for a lot of folks, it was, you know, it's humiliating to feel like they were broken that way or they don't want people to know that. Okay. I just want to start with that. But because a lot of folks say to me, well, if I cured my cancer with ribeyes, then I would want everybody to know that. And I'm like, you might, and you might not, you don't know what you would really want to do. You know, like don't try to speak for everybody mm. else, but we do have people in the membership. I have one member who she was in a wheelchair with MS and you won't know her anymore because she's not in a wheelchair and she hasn't been in a wheelchair for a very long time. And her disease was being reversed with meat and with fat specifically and a little bit of fat fasting into that and also just generally eliminating all the plants. So she's very strict and she's very, very, very strict carnivore. So she can walk normally now? Yeah. 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 You can reverse it. It's amazing what the body's able to regenerate and repower, man. You're, all your cells are being recreated every year. So, you know, it took her a lot of therapy, you know, in terms of physical therapy to be able to use her legs again properly. And if she wanes off of her diet a little bit, her body is very quick to scream at her and be like, but. Ah! No, we're not going down that road again. <laughs> Her body lets her know, mm -hmm. like, no, I do not want to do that again. And so she might get an electrical tingling sensation down her arm or something because, you know, her body's like, no, no. And so if she feels any of those things, because she's tried to, you know, reintroduce corn in season or, you know, different fruits and vegetables that are local within our circadian rhythm and she hasn't been able to do that so a lot of people might feel like well you're very limited you know or you they are calling i think it's funny a lot of these plant allergies i don't know that they're plant allergies guys i think i'm pretty confident you're being poisoned by the plant and your body is like hey hey man you really just need the meat you just need the meat Although you have a lot of folks that are saying, well, you should have a stronger gut biome. I don't know about that. Well, you have, yeah, I mean, the critics of meat consumption say it can cause cancer, it can cause heart disease. So if you've got an 
It has never done that. Prove it. I would say really loud and proud. Prove it. There is absolutely zero evidence to that effect. There's zero evidence. Well, yeah, to the contrary. If you've got just a story about someone with those ailments who's yeah, gotten better under your program. Well, I mean, I think that the most powerful stories I would have is, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of men who, well, I say men because it just happened to be men in my experience. There were more men with heart issues and gout and hemochromatosis that were having a lot of issues with their bodies. Like they weren't able, they were told they shouldn't eat beef specifically or any red meat because of, you know, their hemocrat was too high and they would you know, have a problem with that. And it was interesting that the more high meat they went, the more their body was able to regulate that and they could stop giving blood after a while. And I mean, I'm talking about within a year, you know, of high meat with high blood pressure problems or low blood pressure, pro any blood pressure problems. Those were generally resolved with most people within eight weeks, nine weeks, thyroid issues, most all thyroid problems are resolved very rapidly. Like the thyroid receives so much relief, you know, as soon as 90 days, and it only gets better after that. Okay, well that, yeah, like you said, you have plenty of testimonials in your book, uh, Farm to Fork um, Meat Riot. Going to today, yeah, there's so many people that won't speak out, but, you know, there's a lot of those testimonials being collected on meetrx.com as well. If people want to, you know, look up Sean Baker's MeetRx podcast and just there's like a, a testimony being posted every moment of the day. Right. Yeah, we'll have that in uh, the commentary, just how to, yeah, reach uh, that site. What do you... Um... You know, just in the last year, it seems to me like the demand for regenerative meat has gone up with this COVID and just uh, kind of the breakdown of supply chains, you know, the inflation in uh, conventional food. What do you see from your vantage point? Do you think the demand for it's going up or it's been going up for the past year? I think that people are realizing that if the food in the store is going to cost the same as the food from a farm, they might as well just get the food from the farm because I think common sense from a common sense perspective, a lot of folks felt like they just couldn't, I think a lot of folks just couldn't reconcile the expense for regenerative meat. But if the regenerative meat cost is not very far from what's in the stores already, then they would prefer to choose, you know, the better quality. You still have a lot of folks, I think, that are just stuck on the convenience factor. And so right. um, they're not going to make a change unless and until there's no more meat, which is disappearing out of the stores faster, you know, faster and faster. And there's a reason for that. And so I think that if you're producing regeneratively raised meat, you definitely need to keep going you have a market that's growing for sure if you want help in promoting that
please reach out to me and talk to me. I'm here. I mean, I want to promote you and I want to support you and I want to help connect you and build bridges between you and eaters. Oh, what's interesting now too, as the demand for regenerative meat is going up, the establishment has stepped up its campaign against meat, especially beef. I mean, from what I understand, Epicure magazine says it will no longer publish meat recipes. It's one of the biggest gourmet publishing around. So why do you think they're stepping it up? And why do you think they're targeting beef more? I mean, it's like some of the climate change advocates are targeting beef when you have these pork and poultry papos, which pollute a lot more than yeah, just a feedlot would. So why why um, this stepped-up campaign against meat in general, and why the specific targeting of beef, do you think? You know, the cause is always the cure. And I think that in my experience with the medical industrial complex and the food industrial complex and the political industrial complex and the economic and, you know, all of them, I think it's fascinating that when they say go up, go down, and you'll do better. If they say to go up, go down, and you will always be more successful. I think that the economic strategists and all the, um, anyone who, if you look at any of the experts in any of these centralized systems, they would support me in saying the same thing, that if mainstream says go up, go down, and you will be more successful. Right. Um, but I think that the reason beef is under attack is because beef is what takes longer to grow. It is more powerful, medicinally more powerful for more people than pork and chicken. It's more satiating for sure. And, you know, people can live on beef alone and have a more robust lifespan or life experience than on any of the other creatures. Because to like all the poultry, all the two-legged creatures, just aren't as satisfying and aren't as medicinal because they just don't have the fat content. And the medicine that beef carries, because it's an herbivore, for us is huge. It's huge. We have more access to the medicine in the fat of the beef than we do in any of the other beasts. Mm -hmm. In the last year, in addition to yeah, the deterioration of the conventional food system. We've also seen the deterioration of the medical system as well. During the lockdowns, a lot of people who had cancer, heart disease, were having trouble getting uh, treatment. Just this COVID-centric medical system is, is not helping overall uh, health. Do you see more people just opting out of the medical system and going by strictly Hippocrates, just making food their medicine? Or do you see that not changing all that much? I think that they would do it if they knew that they had help. I know a lot of people who want to do it, but they don't have any help. Meaning like, even if they're working with me, for example, they would want, if, if I had a facility, okay? If I had like a hospital facility, meaning a place that they could come where I could just immerse them in food that I cooked for them and I nourished them, they would show up because everybody's trained. Everyone's trained to believe that 
they don't have the answers. They can't do it. They're not even allowed to cook because they're going to burn their house down. You know, I mean, this is true. This is like the training. So I'm having to train, retrain everybody or break them out of this training and pour power back over them for them to know their power. That's why I have a whole chapter in my book called, you know, you matter, you're important. You, <laughs> you're worthy beyond belief. I said that on purpose because, you know, individuals have lost their power. They're giving their power. They're trained to give up their power to a professional for everything. And I mean, everything, including scrambling an egg, you know, and I'm really wanting to, and I encourage, and all I do every day is try to pour power over people so that they can feel confident enough to scramble an egg, you know, to patty a burger. You know, you can save somebody's life if you just teach them that they can patty a burger and put it on a grill and it's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay. Like nothing serious is going on. What are you going to do? You might burn it. Just start over. Do it again. You know, you're not going to burn it a second time. So I'm just saying that, you know, the solution is simplicity. And it's such a clean and simple solution that it's unbelievable. Because people are trained to believe that everything is so complex and that if they don't, you know, like when you start listening to them explain cancer to you, for example, it's so convoluted. If something, hey folks, if you're listening to me right now, if something is so convoluted, it's called lies. It's just lies. If you can't understand it, it's bull. It's, you know, nonsense we're um so let's go to your vision from farm to fork meat right i mean you really set up a unique kind of nonprofit. where would you like to take it where do you see it five or ten years from now if things work out the way you want yes i actually have folks on a team I'm seeking funding is what I'm seeking. But what my vision is, is to create an affiliate program to spread, you know, food church framework across the country, around the world, much like, are you familiar, Pete, with like the CrossFit brand for, you know, athletic performance methodology? Have you heard of CrossFit? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's a paleo type. So... Yeah, it's like a workout methodology, okay? And they have like an affiliate program where you can have a CrossFit gym, which they call a box, and you can repeat it. And they teach you how to do it. Like they have, a, you know. So I would like to create an affiliate program with certification and things of that nature for people to be able to do their own food church. Because... What's really important is for the eaters and the producers to have bridges and they need a lot of them all over the place. And I can't possibly singly do any of this. And there's so many people out there doing so many parts and pieces of it. If we could just connect them, it would be 
you know, like there's the solutions are everywhere, but it's just building those bridges and creating the financial security for them correctly. So to avoid like financial ruin, because it's real easy for, you know, eaters with good intentions to try to recreate what they think is a food church and just really financially ruin a farm, you know, or a farm family. And so I would like to be able to create an affiliate program for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, this has been uh, great having you on. I mean, you mentioned your book, Farm to Fork Meat Riot, earlier. Highly recommended just for inspirational story and just how you've helped uh, so many people in your area. So if you could tell the listeners where they could go to order that book and also where they can go to get more information about your nonprofit. Sure. First of all, I just wanted to thank you, Pete, for all your support over the years. And, you know, you mean a lot to me and to our work and to the regenerative ag community, you know, like you're a real hero. And so I just wanted to thank you for that. Thanks, <laughs> Anyway, you guys can follow me and my work at www.farmtofarkmeatriot.org. That is F-A-R-M-T-O-F-O-R-K-M-E-A-T-R-I-O-T.org. And that's a living space where you can purchase my book, you can make a donation, and you can generally know what I'm up to because I'm actively working towards creating this affiliate program. And as soon as I'm able to, I will launch it from that site. So you guys would have access to that as well. What about ordering the book, Neethi? Where's the best place to go to? If you go there, you'll be able to buy the book as well. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, just... Yeah, you've moved uh, mountains in your area, continued uh, success, and yeah, we'll uh, be seeing each other next month at uh, Polyface Farm, hopefully, so yeah, yeah, best of success. Thank you so much, Pete. I really appreciate you and your work, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. All right. Take care, Neethi. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.